Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to day six of the Eurocopa podcast sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. The Copa is finally kicked off and we will be talking about the USA-Columbia game as well as previewing tomorrow's games. And joining me tonight are Karthik Krishnayer and Robert Hay. Now, gentlemen, let's start with the USA-Columbia game. Uh, final scoreline is 2-0. I'm sure everyone listening at this point will have either watched the game or watched highlights. Uh, let's talk about the goals first, Karthik. The first goal was a well-worked free kick. The second goal was a PK in my eyes. So um, can we chalk this these goals down go, goals down to a brilliant set piece and an individual mistake? No, I mean we can we we can reduce the goals to that, yes, but we can't reduce the game to that. Colombia were the better team. They were a much better team for the first 55 minutes. The United States, the host nation in this Copa America, did not start playing football until the 55th minute. And you can't then say, well, we created a million chances between minutes 55 and minutes 90. The ball between minute 55 and minute 90, we were we were good. We, we, we played well against a good team, which is what a lot of U.S. men's national team fans are saying right now on Twitter as we record this. The reality is you don't play for 55 minutes. You're at home. You're the host nation in this major, in this major tournament. And um, the, uh, it, it generally goes like this. If, I, if you go back to the 1998 World Cup, right, that's considered the low water watermark for U.S. soccer. Right. I can point to individual mistakes that accounted for all five of the goals they gave up in that, in that tournament. And I have actually made the case that at, – at, at some point in each of those three games, and remember they were playing Germany in the first game, and Jurgen Klinsmann scored one of the goals for Germany, actually, mm-hmm. uh, that the U.S. was the better team for, for 15 to 20 minutes in all three games, actually against Iran for a longer portion of that. The bottom line is they finished last, 32nd in a 32-team tournament. Individual mistakes are what end up making the difference in uh, international competition in major tournaments, especially when you're talking about a three-game group stage. We're not talking about a 38-game Premier League season. So, uh, yeah, they had two uh, ho- horrible individual blunders, uh, uh, one on a set piece, one a, a clear penalty, and that uh, was Colombia was good value for that 2-0 lead because they created chances. They were keeping the ball. They were maintaining possession. They were pushing the issue. Robert, I can't help but wonder about that second uh, goal. I think before we start recording, all three of us were in agreement that it was a PK. Uh, I think anyone that 
thinks otherwise is doesn't really understand the game. Well, actually, that's very unfair for me to say. Anyone who thinks that's definitely not a PK doesn't understand the game. Uh, those of us <laughs> that watch the game closely know that there is some gray area. So uh, the, what I w- want to bring up with you, uh, the the previous host of the show, Richard Farley, once asked me uh, three months ago if it was a good idea to make all handballs in the, in the box PKs. And I kind of poo-pooed it at that time because it seemed very against the spirit of the game in some ways. But as these calls keep... Uh, th- these gray areas keep showing up and people st- start having fallouts in terms of whether it was a PK or not. I find some merit to that. What about you? Do, do you think it's a good idea? As soon as the ball hits someone's hand, regardless of his intention, regardless of where the hand is, it should be a PK. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on this on this incident here. The first one is I'll reiterate what we've been saying. It, it's it's a PK. It's, it's a penalty. Um, no doubt about it. Uh, I think a lot of times viewers like to read into the thoughts of the players and and can figure out what they're thinking and oh they didn't mean to raise their hand they weren't trying to block your hands are up you're in a position where the ball is going to be deflected a pass in is going to be deflected it's a penalty no doubt about that Mm. in terms of of the black and white nature of it um you know i i and not to cross the streams here and go into other sports but when you look at a sport like baseball which tinkers with its rules and and now is trying to, to do a very black and white interpretation of different things, such as uh, their slide rule and things like that. You, you run into unexpected problems. Um, I don't think that there's an issue with having a referee um, determine whether a, an incident is a penalty, foul, whatever, um, and have some discretion to determine that. I think that that's a part of the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what, what's good about soccer. I think you can have the argument of whether, you know, the referee, as it's set up, is qualified to do that, you know, in general, whether the one referee on the field is qualified to do that, or whether you need more. But I think making everything black and white leads to a dangerous situation where you're going to have absurd calls that are going to be impacting uh, games even more so than you do now. Yeah, I think I actually think I agree with you. Those You make some good points. Karthik, let's come back to the game. One of the things that I was impressed by from Colombia was, uh, and I saw a tweet about uh, – referring to this in some ways was they realized that I think a lot of people that play the US men's national team do that if you nullify Bradley you can pretty much shut down the the service to the uh, to the likes of Zardes and and Clint Dempsey and throughout the first half in particular I saw any time that the US men's national team had the ball Baca and Rodriguez one of them was always on him and that led, that contributed to the buildup for the second, uh, the, the PK uh, uh, that Yedin gave away. So talk to me about that. That that's a serious area of concern because it was as simple as man marking Bradley, and I think the U.S. men's national team fell apart on on offense. Yeah, and I think uh, part of this goes back to this whole debate and discussion we having in this country over the course of the last well over the course of the last two weeks but also over the course of the last two years which is michael bradley should be a deep lying playmaker or a pure low-esque playmaker mm. uh, sitting deep and, and playing balls forward now jürgen klinsman had previously played bradley in a more advanced, advanced role, role almost a number right. 10 role yeah. yeah and and the and the discussion uh, which has been orchestrated by, by folks like uh, Alexi Lalas, who's on Fox Sports, and, uh, and and Matthew Doyle, who I respect a great deal, who I think is a very good writer for MLSsoccer.com, is that he he is best as a defensive midfielder, and that's uh, that, or, or as a deep line playmaker, a box to box midfielder, which has now become kind of the accepted uh, accepted 
premise. So Klinsman decides in this tournament, he is going to play Bradley in that kind of deeper role in a 4-3-3. And look at what happened. The gap between Bradley, who's, who's being man-marked very effectively by Peckerman's Columbia in the midfield, the gap between him and Jaius Zardes, who I think made some very nice runs, actually, mm-hmm. but yeah. wasn't rewarded for those runs. And uh, Clint Dempsey and Bobby Wood was enormous. There's a huge gap. Uh, there's no there's no one to link up in, in, in the play. And uh, maybe that was supposed to be Alejandro Bedoya's job, and he just had a terrible game. But um, I, I'm now reassessing, because I had bought into this premise that uh, that maybe you want Bradley in a deeper role. Yeah. Even though I liked him playing further forward previously, because it seemed like he was getting a lot of touches on the ball and dictating the tempo of games, uh, being in a more advanced role. But today we saw the ugly side of him playing as a holding midfielder. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe it's as simple as Columbia marking him out and, and, and Bedoya having a poor game, but it seemed like that there was just no link-up play between him and uh, Zardes, Dempsey, and Wood uh, going forward, and that uh, meant that the U.S. had no ability to create chances until after the 55th minute. Robert, if I could jump in yeah, here ahead, real please. quick on, on that point, um, you know, I think a lot of that also has to go to the formation and the lack of adjustments that were made up until the substitutes come in. You talk about a Pirlo situation and what – Italy tends to do with him is to do support him with another midfielder that would either defend or make runs for him uh, in the midfield. And there's nothing like that in this 4-3-3 that we saw today. So I think it was a combination of uh, good defending by Columbia and the fact that Klinsman just couldn't tactically figure out how to make that work against his team. But Robert, to explain that to me a little bit, what exactly should he have done? Should he have played Beckerman, who, who maybe is a little more of a... Um, will we'll hold position a little bit better, allow uh, Brady to get on the ball a little bit more because um, it didn't seem to work. I agree with you. But what exactly should have Klinsman done then? Probably, I, I think, moved away from the – or adjusted the 4-3-3 a little bit. Uh, I mean, it was obvious, I think, from the beginning it wasn't going to work out. Um, so maybe move Jones in and, you know, I, you know let me start by saying I'm, I'm a huge Beckerman fan, but I'm I'm not a – fan necessarily of him on the team, but maybe you move Jones inside and, and move more to a fluid 4-2, four, four something like that, but just give, you know, move some players back in the in the front three to, to do some more link-up play. Um, it, there's just no support for him there. I mean, it was just, uh, it, to reiterate Cardick's point, there was just no ability for him to link up with Dempsey, and it made it a lot easier for him to be man-marked out of this match. Karthik, without starting one of Nagby or Pulisic, I, I'm not sure how we play a 4-4-2. So talk to me about that because obviously something has to change. Yeah, so the 4-3-3 wasn't working. It was very obvious. I think uh, Robert and I were among the people on Twitter within 15 minutes saying this formation isn't working. Klinsman makes no tactical changes until he brings Pulisic and Nagby on after the 60th minute. Uh, it, this, this is pretty telling to me that he didn't bring one of them on earlier. Although once when you're in a 4-3-3, you're kind of locked in to that formation. And you don't have that much tactical flexibility. Maybe you can bring on another defender and push Fabian Johnson forward and play a 4-4-2 with him as a winger. And Bedoya, I guess, at that point, as the other winger. And, and, and uh, uh, Jones and, and Bradley in, in central midfield. Uh, or you bring on... Uh, I, yeah, so I guess, I guess they were locked in with this formation. Formation, unless right. you make, make some sort of major substitution, that's the problem. Yeah, there. right, right. So, um, without if you don't have Nagby in the team, you don't have a player that can actually take on uh, play, players on the dribble. 
and, and can cut inside from a wide, wide position. Bedoya has some of those skills, but not, not quite like Nagby. He can't hold the ball up like Nagby. So the only way you get Nagby in the team is to play a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1, which I think is the formation the U.S. might have to look to go uh, look as far as going back to for the next game against Costa Rica. The problem with the 4-2-3-1 is, are you going to play Clint Dempsey as your out-and-out striker as your number nine right. in that formation? If, if, if you feel like you have to play Dempsey, you might have a problem playing that formation. So I, I think maybe this 4-3-3 was dictated by the need or the desire, I should say, not the need, uh, because it clearly didn't work. The desire of Klinsman to get both Dempsey and Wood on the pitch. Uh, and so we have this crazy formation. And once again, Jermaine Jones is being asked to do something very unnatural to mm -hmm. him. And God bless him, he's 34 years old and has a wealth of experience, Bundesliga experience, uh, before he came to MLS. But he was put in a diamond formation and forced to do a lot of chasing and a lot of running in a 120-minute game uh, against Mexico in the CONCACAF Cup uh, in, back in October. And now, in this game, he was put in a 4-3-3 where he was doing a lot of the forward running in that 4-3-3, making the runs that Bedoya wasn't making and having to cover a lot of space. So I think he's been put... There's a lot of criticism of Jones's play, but I have to say in defense of Jermaine Jones, he's been a victim of these strange formations Klinsman has trotted out in the last two big games the United States has played. I think uh, Jermaine Jones, is a, he's, a, he's a veteran, he's a reliable um, company man, if you will, for U.S. soccer at this point, or for, for Klinsman. So he's able to throw him and he's, he, he does his job without much fuss or tries to do his job, but he's being put in a very bad position in this formation. So... Um, I, I, I take your point. I think you, you don't. You, you have to go to a four-four-two or four-two-three-one to bring Nagby into the starting lineup, or you have to change formation even within this game to um, to bring him and Pulisic on. And Klinsman clearly wasn't willing to do that until the cause was basically lost. Right. Uh, Robert, contextualize this result for me. And the reason I say that is because people like you, people like myself, people like Karthik, people at World Soccer Talk, the people who watch this game, love this game all the time, follow the U.S. men's national team, feel like the world has ended because we are reacting to a loss. And ironically, it is the people, the more casual fans who feel that the U.S. played somewhat okay. And I keep trying to remind myself that at the end of the day, this was a loss against Colombia, one of the five, arguably one of the five best national teams in the world. So with that, should we be giving a little bit of leeway to the fact that we were heavy underdogs coming into this game and we might be overreacting as a, as the football obsessed group here. Well, I would say no. And, and there's a simple reason for that. And I have Twitter up as we're doing this recording and I oh, see that how there's, dare you. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm cheating on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> it, it was worth it. Someone just put out one of uh, Klinsman's uh, post-game quotes where he said uh -oh. there was no difference between the two teams besides the two goals. Gosh. And while I'm not the type of person who thinks the world is ending, because we, we did play uh, you know, a, definitely a quality opponent, the U.S. played a quality opponent, it's that mentality yeah. that seems to permeate this team and yeah. this federation that drives me up a wall. The U.S. has a great opportunity here playing at, at home playing in the U.S. in this tournament to, to make a statement. In, and even if they're not the best team in this tournament by far, the fact that results like this are dismissed as, well, we were, we were close. It was just a couple of breaks would have gone our way. Mm. And while the U.S. did play better, I think 
probably than uh, a lot of people will give them credit for. They, they, there was times when they did play well. There, there was a difference between these two teams. And I okay. think that there, the lack of ability or the, the lack of willingness to recognize that, I think, speaks deeply to some of the problems that this, this uh, federation, this team has. Yeah, I I'll, think I'll give you yeah. a classic example of what Robert just alluded to. I got a press release in 2009 during the Confederations Cup tournament, which the United States ended up doing very well in, in the knockouts stage. But in the group stage, the U.S. played Brazil and, of course, would get to the final and lose to Brazil again and lost 3-0. And uh, was completely outplayed, a complete embarrassment. And the by the uh, the subject was, you know, United States falls three 0 to Brazil. This the next line, the subheadline was, uh, United States hits post two times and creates other chances to push the game or something like that. But I remember the hitting post two times. That's the narrative. And of course, yeah. they hit the post twice when they were already down three 0 and it was it was the 85th minute or whatever. But that's the mentality. It, at U.S. soccer among the really hardcore U.S. men's national team fans. And by hardcore U.S. men's national team fans, I'm talking about fans who don't watch European club football. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like their club team. They're not really even fans of MLS clubs, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Uh, They don't watch MLS that closely. Uh, A lot of them live in NASL and USL cities. They don't live in MLS cities. And they they are – uh, they want to believe, and, and I give give them the benefit of the doubt. They want to believe that uh, that we've got that we're making progress, and things are always getting better, and we're evolving, and and we're not really that far off the world powers. So they buy into these narratives. U.S. soccer knows they have this kind of captive audience, and they play to that audience to, to those people. Uh, but those of us who now have become sophisticated about this sport in this country and watch a lot of European football, and watch a lot of other international football, and even watch MLS where MLS used to be just like U.S. soccer. There was no accountability. Coaches wouldn't get sacked. Uh, now it's not like that, except it's uh, some teams. But mo- most teams are, are, are run like European clubs. And um, we we have different expectations for our national team and different a different way of uh, evaluating and uh, consuming the product we just watched on television. Some uh, U.S. fans think this was, this was some sort of great show. Those of us who watch the game at a different level, realize that this was a humiliating performance for a team that's for a nation that's hosting a major tournament in the opening game. I know yeah. Colombia is a better team than the United States, but it was still a humiliating performance. For the first time host nation has lost the opening game, I think 65 years, 70 years, something like that. So yeah, that's well said. Karthik, we actually got a tweet directed to you and I, and it Propped up a question in my mind. This is from Robert at Sunny SoCal, Rob25. And he pointed out the fact that Juan Cuadrado was given a lot of space to pass the ball forward. And it's an, it's an astute observation. And it pointed out to me that one of the big differences between these teams, you guys, is, uh, is the technical aspect. I'm, I've always been a reductionist and I always try to split, bring things down to one variable. And to me, that is a big variable between these teams. The variable of quality on the ball, the variable of technical ability, because there were multiple times in this game when the ball was played 50, 60 yards to Juan Cuadrado, and he brought the ball down just to the ground in a way that no other player on the pitch could do. Most players on the pitch couldn't do, definitely no player on the U.S. men's national team could do that. And he brought it down uh, in, in control when it looked like the ball was going out of play. And it reminded me of the fact that that is one of the big differences between these two teams. And Robert, I guess I want to hear your thoughts on that. Do you see an issue 
with the technical ability of this U.S. men's national team compared to a team like Colombia. Yes, and I think that's been the case for a while now. You know, I, we look back at the beginning of this match, and Jeff Cameron had that nice little spin move uh, to get by a couple players, and, and Twitter, you know, and social media ex- <laughs> exploded. Exploded. And, oh, the next Messi. And, <laughs> Jeff you, Cameron, the yeah, next it, Messi. It, it was <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's like, and it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it, that's a nice little turn there but that's what you see with a lot of these other teams on a regular occasion and you know and this is just it's a it's a common refrain for the u.s uh national team it's why aren't they more technically don't have this technical ability that other teams do how do we you know groom these players is it playing overseas is it the youth system is it you know what what's the answer and uh, you know we've uh, you know you all have debated this uh, a lot of people have debated over times and it just seems like there's no uh, progress uh, in this game. It, it, you're right. Uh, Columbia just is more technically proficient, and it showed. And it's something that I think the U.S. team wish they had uh, in in spades. But to yeah. Rob's question, this is a reason why you don't play a four-three-three. Part of the reason Cuadrado had so much space and time on the ball was because you right. had a defender in Fabian Johnson who was basically being to- and Fabian Johnson is an attacking player normally, but uh, in this formation he's playing as a, as a left back. And granted, the U.S. doesn't have another good left back option, so I understand why he's playing left back. I'm not going to criticize Klinsman for that, but. Um, you have him at left back being told not to bomb forward. And then you have uh, the, the person who would be responsible for tracking back would either be Bedoya or uh, Zardes, depending right. on which side Cordado is coming down and Yedlin on the other side. And so there's this huge gap in space, right? Because you're playing a 4-3-3 and uh, Bedoya uh, and uh, sorry, it wouldn't be Bedoya. So uh, I, I, it would have been Bobby Wood. Bedoya and, and Jones are pinched inside in this 4-3-3 for all intents and purposes, or they have to go chase. Uh, uh, Quadrado, uh, Quadrado, and then when they chase Quadrado, there's just these huge gaps in the U.S. midfield, and Colombia can come right down the middle. Another reason why you don't play this formation. Now, I know it's very simple for uh, us to to be critical of Klinsman after the fact, but he seems to always get it wrong in these big games with his formation. And I, I was horrified when I saw this formation at the start of the game, and I thought, well, maybe he, he's doing it because he wants to press uh, high up the pitch uh, and, and create. Uh, uh, kind of a fast-paced match in the first 20-25 minutes doing that. And instead, he came out in this 4-3-3 and sat. Uh, it was just a uh, wrong formation. Again, uh, uh, my biggest criticism of Klinsman is that tactically, he has no no real concept of how to use his personnel. And um, while his defenders say, well, the U.S. isn't very talented right now, he doesn't have the level of talent Bruce Arena had in 2002, and I think that's obvious he doesn't. Uh, the reality is when you have this kind of this level of talent, you need a manager who tactically can figure out how to create mismatches or to at least mitigate mismatches coming the other way. And he's incapable of doing that. And it showed again with this Cordado game that he had today. Yeah. Robert, uh, one of the things I noticed was the the crowd the crowd was very heavily uh favored towards the Colombian national team in terms of uh the attendance and a good friend of mine Andrew uh who lives in Chicago and is actually dating a Colombian uh went to the game uh with her and they and he texted me to tell me that it it, it was they were vastly outnumbered the US fans uh and because of that, I want to talk to you a little bit about Colombia as well. Uh, Ospina was pretty good in this game. An excellent save uh, from uh, the free kick from uh, El Duce, uh, Clint Dempsey. 
And uh, the other thing that I guess we should talk about is the fact that James Rodriguez uh, hurt his uh, shoulder. It looked like a shoulder dislocation by by the time he uh, the, by the time he game the game ended and he had been on the bench for a while. It looked like it, they had put it back into place. Uh, but that's a concern for Colombia because he's obviously still their talisman. Yeah, a lot of talking points from this match for Colombia. Not all good. Uh, let's start with yeah, starting with the. The injury, um, having never had my shoulder dislocated like that, uh, I, I can have. just, oh, well, it looked painful. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, I believe that. Um, it, and, uh, you know, I think that's definitely going to, you know, depending on how that affects him, um, that could be uh, uh, play out more in maybe in the semi, you know, in the next round once mm-hmm. the, after the knockout stage. So um, something worth keeping an eye on. Um, with the crowd, you know, I it's Nice, nice source on the inside there. Um, I always, I always find it tough to do crowd um, analysis while watching it on TV, but it did look like a very pro Columbia crowd, very mm-hmm. uh, loud and into it. And but you know what? I think you you come to expect that with tournaments like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have uh, people who don't get a chance to to see their either their home country or the country that they root for as often, and so they'll uh, they'll buy a ticket and go out to see them. So um, that's just one of the the things about living in the, it's unfortunate, but I don't think entirely unexpected. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yet yeah, the last point, the Ospina point, you know, I, I've watched him play for Arsenal and he does come up with these really good saves, reaction saves, which I think is shows his value. Uh, every once in a while, he'll throw out a stinker. He didn't do that tonight. <laughs> um, so maybe that's further down the line when it matters more, it's but yeah, it's, it's coming, but unfortunately it didn't come against the U S tonight. He played right. very well. And I think Columbia overall, uh, represented themselves well and, and uh, showed why they're so highly ranked in the uh, rankings. Karthik, final question about this game that we'll get to previews. Uh, again, coming back to contextualization, obviously we went in, regardless of how we spin this, we went into this game as underdogs, we've lost the game. So in some ways we can reset and look to the other games in this tour, uh, in this group and try to get that second place, which honestly was the goal to begin with, right? Well, I, I mean, I suppose it was the goal because U, U.S. soccer and Klinsman in particular, he's really good at this, dumbs down expectations. But you're the host country. Colombia, is they're a good team right now. They're not Argentina. They're not Germany. They're not Spain. Okay? They're Colombia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's just let's let's just get 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 to that. They're like Portugal. Okay. Uh, if we're you're in a group with Portugal, you expect not to beat them. But we've gotten out of groups with Portugal and finished ahead of them twice in World Cups. Mm-hmm. They're basically like an equivalent. They qualify for major tournaments. They have a good generation of players right now. They're, Portugal's a good good uh, ana- uh, analogy or Belgium right now. Right. So that's what Colombia is. Uh, so you're at home. So I I I don't think that that's uh, that was the right goal, the right bar to set. But yes, uh, still all to play for. Costa Rica is a team the United States should beat. The United States generally beats them in competitive matches at home. Never wins down there, but generally wins uh, in the United States. So that's a must three points. And then Paraguay is uh, really a toss-up game. Uh, right. So I think the United States will have three points entering that final group game. But um, that is a toss-up game, and, and that could go either way. And based on how the United States played today, they would lose to Paraguay, but I think Klinsman 
probably will not come out in a four three three again, and that's um, that would be a positive if this forces him. Uh, you, you know, this was a game you probably weren't going to win, right? As you said, I just think that the performance itself was um, uninspirational. Because uh, uh, just one last thing on sure. this: the United States has a history, of, even when they're beaten in games, of fighting hard, of chasing, of hustle. And that wasn't there today. You saw heads down. You saw right. uh, a lack of understanding where other players would be on the pitch. You saw disorganization, like the huge gaps, as we talked about, between Bradley and the front three and, and, and gaps between the three in the midfield, uh, leading to all this space for Cordado and, and, and Hamas on the ball. So uh, this was not a you, – you can lose 2-0 to better teams, to a Germany or Spain or, or somebody like that. I feel like you played well, but the United States did not play well. They didn't have the, the fight, the energy. So if that's the attitude against Paraguay, or if that's an attitude the rest of the tournament, that's a problem. But maybe that we got all of this out of the way against a team we probably weren't going to beat anyway. That might be the optimist, optimistic way of looking at it, uh, which I think is how you presented the question to begin with. Yes. For once, I'll be the optimist. Usually, I'm always the pessimist. So let me be the optimist, Karthik, and let's do previews now. Uh, let's start with the Costa Rica-Paraguay game. I think we'll all be watching this game with uh, some uh, interest uh, based on the fact that these are the teams that the U.S. men's national team will come up against next. And Robert, uh, what I find amazing is uh, – we over here at the Europa Copa Pod have really bad luck for players in this uh, tournament because Gabe and I talked about how important Navas was. He got injured. And later on, we'll talk about Kaka. Karthik and I talked about how important uh, important this tournament was for Kaka. He gets injured. So uh, maybe we shouldn't in- discuss individual <laughs> players anymore. But uh, I think that Navas' injury is going to have a huge impact on that team. Uh, psychologically, because he he has in some games game single handedly kept them in games, much like De Gea did for United. Uh, and with Pemberton in goal, I think uh, I'm going to make Paraguay favorites for this game. Yeah, I agree, and and I that's it, kind of going to cramp my style because there's a lot of individual players I like in this matchup for for both of these teams. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll, you I'll can try, go right ahead. <laughs> I'll try. Maybe I'll speak in code. Um, but no, you, you know, I think the Navas loss is a big one. Um, I, I think where the 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 big thing is. Um, you know, you, you, when you look at Paraguay and the talent that they have on their team, no doubt about it, they're they're a good, strong squad. Um, but there's some questions about goal scoring with this team. Um, I mean, probably you're 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 the person you're looking for here to see who can score against Costa Rica is Nelson Valdez. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one other player I I think would be interesting to watch, uh, although maybe isn't performed as much for the club level as he was expected to, was their recent signing Juan Aturbe, um, right. who, if you're a Serie A or Bournemouth fan, you, you might know who he is. But mm-hmm. um, it, it'll be interesting to see if they can score some goals here and actually test Pepperton. Um, uh, so that's what I'm going to be looking for to see uh, if they can actually uh, put him under some pressure and uh, see how he performs. Yeah. Karthik, we, you and I talked uh with Chris and Gabe about how uh, they have it's a very inexperienced team. Uh, Twelve out of twenty outfield players have less than fifteen caps uh, for Paraguay. But based on that one injury, are, are we are we selling uh, Costa Rica a little short here, or do they are they really going in as favorites? Sorry, Paraguay. Um, <laughs> That's what I meant. To well, say. well, no, Paraguay is the favorites because yeah. they're they're the better team. They're the right. South American team. Uh, they're competitive right now in 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 Comdebol qualifying. They haven't been great. 
Uh, they did get a result uh, in Quito, away from home. Uh, and that's a, that's uh, I've talked about before on the show how Ecuador tends to win at home because they play at altitude. And Ecuador is actually playing better even in this qualifying than they have in the last few. And they gen- they usually qualify for the World Cup. So that was a big result for Paraguay. Uh, mm-hmm. But Costa Rica... Isaac has got a lot of good players, yeah. and we saw flashes of Joel Campbell this year mm-hmm. at uh, at Arsenal. Uh, Brian Ruiz is still a very good player, and, and uh, they've got uh, other guys who can impact um, impact proceedings. They're they are able to also play on the break in a way that uh, most Latin American teams aren't. They're able to counterattack mm-hmm. with it. They have they have a certain degree of uh, freaky athleticism with some of their players and, and pace that a lot of the other teams in this competition don't have. Uh, they might have um, as much pace as anyone. So uh, they can absorb pressure and counter. Uh, how, however, they have relied on Navas now for a number of years and that back four to keep them in games. And, and the distribution from Navas is something that's going to be right. missed also because other goalkeepers are good shot stoppers, but his distribution is really good. And a lot of their counters start from the keeper. If you go back and watch Costa Rica's games in CONCACAF and in the 2014 World Cup. So he will be missed, but I, yeah, maybe we're selling them short. I, I still think that they're, they're a KG team and uh, they're excited to be in this Copa. They haven't been in a Copa uh, since, uh, since Steve Sampson, former U.S. national mm-hmm. team coach, coached them 2004 uh, in the Copa. So uh, they, I, I think they're going to, uh, they're probably going to p- play up to Paraguay's level, but I still think Paraguay's pro- probably the favorite here. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. I think Paraguay, if they're able to nullify Joel Campbell, I think they, they're favorites for sure. But even otherwise, I think they're favorites. So let's talk about the next game. Haiti versus Peru. Another team, uh, Robert, that has that is a young team is that Peru squad. Uh, and I, I, we had picked them. I'd picked them to actually finish behind Haiti uh, in Group B. Uh, and this game, I guess, in some ways, some many of us would argue, is is the fight for the third place spot. Um in this in this uh, group with Ecuador and Brazil, which we'll talk about next, uh, and as Karthik pointed out, Haiti's uh, strength is definitely their counterattacking ability. So, who do you consider to be favorites in this Haiti Peru game? Yeah, this is a tough call. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if you're a fan of the U.S. national team, you're probably a little bit more familiar with Haiti and what they can do with their speed. Um, I think I agree that I'd give Haiti the slight edge on this one. Um, I don't think the location is going to give any advantages. Some might disagree, but I think that um, this Peru squad, who's still vetting in a lot of players, is going to struggle. Uh, I think Haiti's going to give them a different look that they might not be as familiar with, and I think it's going to cause them some problems. So uh, this is this game's a little bit more of a toss-up, but I can see Haiti stealing this one and. Uh, and uh, give me a little pride out of this. Well, let me jump jump in here yep. for a second because, and this may be me speaking out of school, uh, conflicts of interest, etc. Uh, because I, so many Haitian players play in in the NASL, and I know some of them personally. Uh, I actually know more Haitian players personally than Amer- U.S. players. I mean, if he, uh, if I'm rooting for a national team based on guys I'm friends with, I would root for Haiti. But uh, and I do root for them when they don't play the U.S. Actually, uh, there are a couple guys carrying injuries that I know of. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say they were the favorites against Peru, but I know of a couple of guys being hurt uh, that are injured. I'm not going to mention who, who and, and how 
resource, but there are guys on that. Let me go out there and say nine. that you can probably look him up because there are a few players that play for Fort Lauderdale Strikers. That's all I'm or saying. Play for, or, or, or for Jacksonville. Or Jacksonville. <laughs> well done, Karthik. Right. So, uh, but that's just, a, and so that's some inside knowledge. Probably every, every national team in this competition has similar situations where guys are carrying injuries coming in from their right. clubs. Uh, but I just happen to know about the Haitian ones. Mm-hmm. Karthik, let's stick with you and talk about the, the game of the day tomorrow, which is Brazil-Ecuador. If Haiti and Peru is to decide third place, this is the game that will decide the winner in this group. On any normal day, we'd say Brazil is going to run away with it. But as we discussed in the preview uh, on, Sun- on Monday, uh, this Brazil team is not the Brazil team we usually picture. It's, it's a lot of players that... Uh, are, are, uh, not, you wouldn't say B team, but it's definitely not the first, uh, the best Brazil team who are being saved for the Olympics, as we've talked about. So the first thing I want to say, Karthik, is that if, if Brazil are to lose in this game, well, let's put it this way. If Ecuador are to win in this game, they're going to have to change their defensive style because I've noticed that Ecuador struggles when they, they, um, that when they play zonal defense. Uh, they, they seem to prefer man marking and that's just not a system you can play against the interchange of Brazil's uh, offensive abilities. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'm, I'm going to – I hope I'm wrong, but uh, it's an astute observation you make, uh, Nipun, and I think Quinteros uh, has only taught them to man mark. I've noticed that mm-hmm. in the Calm the Ball qualifiers I've watched of theirs. So you even see uh, th- them getting uh, done on set pieces because everybody marks uh, – everybody man marks. Yeah, so that is that is a serious concern, and there are a lot of guys on this Brazil team that are going to want to prove themselves because Dunga is not a conventional manager, right. and some of these guys he's going to uh, bet into the, the the team for come the ball qualifying. A lot of young players, a lot of guys with uh, just a few caps. I think I, I counted se- uh, seven or eight players who have less than uh, have less than s- uh, seven caps on this team. So. A lot of guys who are going to want to step up and prove themselves. Gabriel is the guy we hear about, but there, there, there's more than just him. So this it, it, it's a tricky matchup, though, for them because they're playing, I think, the, the toughest side they're going to face in this um, in this group. And um, you look at Ecuador's squad and you look at how they played, with the exception of that game against uh, Paraguay I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in, in Quito, in, in qualifying, and they've looked really good. Um, and they've, they've, they've played generally well um you know right through even in friendlies i know the u.s beat them but they were they were competitive in that match so um you also look at 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 the uh the situation with uh clubs from ecuador and how well they've been playing in the libertadores the last few seasons so i i think they're not going to be awed by facing brazil they've beaten brazil in qualifying Mm -hmm. and I think in Ecuador, their mindset is going to be, this is a weaker Brazil team. We should beat them. So this, this is going to be a good game. And it, I, I would say it's, it's probably going to be a draw. But, uh, and so this group will go down to goal difference, likely, because I could see both these teams having seven points. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to think, though, uh, that the Brazilian players probably have more to prove. And that, that might tip the scales a little bit toward them. Yeah. Robert, I think Karthik hits on some good notes there. First of all, uh, with we talked about Brazil, but with Ecuador, they have some good players of, the, of their own, as, as Karthik has hinted at. Uh, Tony Valencia, Jefferson Montero, uh, Michael Eroyo, and in particular, I think that the, the danger man is Eno Valencia, as we talked in our preview. Um, 
you know, can, can go missing on certain days. But when he's on form, he's virtually unstoppable. He's fast. He's strong. He's a combative. He will go up against any defender in the air, on the ground. So uh, can be a serious problem for Brazil's defense. Absolutely. And I think that this could be a game where I agree with Kartik. This looks like a draw. Uh, but it could be a, a, a draw with some goals, and I think. Come on, you guys! Give me a good scoreline. I want to see. I uh, want to see some goals in this game. It's 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 it'll be it'll be an interesting one, I think. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, one one X factor for this game, uh, because it is being played, of course, uh, at at the site of a place where uh, Brazil does have some history. So if they mm-hmm. were able to to get a victory in this one, you can you can credit the Rose Bowl for that and the, the <laughs> luck of the Rose Bowl for Brazil. But um, but no, I think you, you, you both have hit on some good points. This is going to be a very interesting match to watch and a draw for the fact that um, it, it would complicate the uh, the picture of who finishes first and second, uh, depending on the result of the other match. So that can make for a very interesting uh, next two, two matches. Based on today's U.S. men's national team result, we are going to change up the podcast and, and tomorrow... We will not have Karthik or Robert uh, joining us. Instead, we'll have Chris Hanaj and uh, and Morgan Green and Sam Kelly down from Buenos Aires joining us. So until then, on behalf of everyone at World Soccer Talk, myself, Nipun Chopra, and Robert Hay, Karthik. Enjoy your football. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.